I, would, I was learning with my son, and it was an interesting Mishnah and Gemara that came across, and I happened to find it very interesting because I was dealing with someone that was quite a strong manipulator, and to see a concept that when I looked at it, I just looked at it differently, I'm thinking some of you might appreciate it. The Mishnah says that when you want to help someone, if someone is having a tough time with something, there's a mitzvah of ozoiv tazoiv. It's a mitzvah's esso, and you also have it with helping, the hand, with, uh, with helping animals, prika and te'ina, that you need to help them. If you see an animal struggling, or if you see a person struggling, you have a mitzvah to help that person and to help the animal. So now, what would you assume would be the most classical manipulation tool that the Mishnah and the Gemara bring down? What happens if a guy says, hey, you have a mitzvah to help me, I am going to overload my animals so hard, or I am going to say, I need help, and you guys got to help me. So does someone have a right to just say, I need help, and now say, you have a mitzvah to help me? So the Mishnah finishes off, says it says, Ozav Tazav, and then adds on another word that the Gemara says, Imoi. You have to help along with him. It's not that someone will say, do the job for me. This is, by the way, the Gemara in Bab Metziah. Pretty sure it was Daflamid Dalid or somewhere over there. It was a Mishnah in the Gemara. And I just loved it. When I saw that Gemara, to me, it was so clear. Today's generation, for whatever reason, we feel that someone has a mitzvah. Now we can dump everything on top of them. And I'm not paskening over here what we should do. I'm just looking to create the awareness. We don't always paskin from every Gemara, although it looks pretty clear from that Gemara that you've got the Rambam, you have the Shulchan Aruch. I wasn't dwelling deeper into it, and I don't want anyone to paskin from what I'm saying, but the awareness I'd like to create. That when people start using terms out there, there is a mitzvah for you to help me, which is sort of shrugging off their responsibility, or they start trying to manipulate you to do things in the name of the Torah, Ask a Rav. All I'm asking you to do is instead of being angry, instead of getting fo- uh, say stressed, start blaming people. Let's recognize the Torah is done. It's meant to extend life. When we can to do something, it's meant to keep us healthy. How we can appreciate and sometimes or many times as we know, as us, as us, as us adults know, many times a no is the best thing that can happen to us. But it's not meant to be stressful. It might be hard, but not that stress that we're living with. It's not meant as a manipulation. It's very clear and open. So when I learned that, and I saw the Ozav Tazav, and then when the Gemara finishes off, and what happens if someone says, it's your mitzvah now, you have to do it all, then it says, Imoy. And the Gemara says further, there's a mitzvah of Prika and Te'ino, where you have an animal that's struggling, so the guy will overload it. So the Gemara says as follows, no. You only help out someone if the person loaded up his donkey with a normal weight. But if he overloaded that his donkey is falling apart because now everyone else has got to help, no mitzvah to help that person. So let's understand that we're learning the Torah. We are from Yidin. Yiddishkeit comes first at every step of the way. And if unfortunately someone is trying to manipulate it on a certain level, then let's recognize that and let's ask a Rav because that's their department to focus on that. All right, we are going to go take a couple of questions that we have. The number to call in is 718-683-5858. That's 718-683-5858. And if you'd like, you can text in, which again, we will be taking more of the callers ahead of the text. So the number is for that, 347-927-8398. We're going to line one. Suri, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes, you're on the air with Mordechai. First, thank you for your hotline. 
I happen to listen to it very often, and I like it. I find it to be very informative. Thank you. And then my question is as follows. Generally, I'm a happy person, everything, doing life, having kids, whatever. And from time to time, when I have, like, certain conversations with certain people, I just suddenly feel very down, and then my day is just totally down. My question is, what's there to do when it happens? like to get myself to pick, to pick myself back up. And what's there to do in order for me not to happen? Excellent. So let's first recognize that emotions do not just happen. Let's understand emotions do not happen. So now when you're talking to certain people, mm -hmm. what do those people do that you get down? That's what I'm wondering. Oh, well, you're the only one that would have that answer. So go ahead, think of one of those people that you speak to, and what happens? What are they telling you? Or what are they not saying? Are they maybe hurting you, knocking you down? Are they more successful than you and that you're feeling knocked down because of that? What is going on? I think they're knocking me down, basically. You think or you know? Um, I'm trying to think, but I, I think that's the case. Good. So would you give me an example how they knock you down? Do they mention what you should have done? Do they mention mistakes that um, you've done? No. Let's say if I could say, well, I saw that person and whatever, I, I think I feel bad for that person. Oh, why do you feel bad for that person? There's no reason to feel bad for that person. I would say, what do you mean? I feel bad because this has happened to this person. I feel bad for this person. If you feel bad for this person, then you think this person has never good life. So I say, well, if this and this happened to this person only for today, I am, I am the... It's okay for me to feel bad for this person for this and this happened. And she was like, if you think you feel bad for whatever reason happens to that person, <coughs> then you just think the person has never good life. And I felt like, oh, come on, I'm allowed to feel bad for that person. Okay. And then I did just went totally So down. let's let's identify what happened over here. What happened over here is you spoke to certain people yeah. and you've shared an emotion or a thought that you have. And instead of them validating your understanding, they were probably, just to be male they were trying to help you and try to clarify you shouldn't feel bad. But what you felt was almost that your beliefs and your thoughts are being controlled. Right. You're not allowed to have certain thoughts, correct? Right, right. So let's understand that, that your issue, why you get in a bad mood after speaking to these people are because of control. You're not feeling you have a right to have your thoughts, to have your opinions, correct? Mm, okay, makes sense. Well, not exactly, because um, exactly? basically they tell me that there's no reason to be emotional here, and they consider themselves very emotional people, like the whatever between those people. So that there are now two issues going on. Number one, they are denying your feelings. Number two, they're denying a feeling or awareness that you have about them. No, you see them as me. people that are not emotional, and they are denying what they are. I don't know. Look who they are. They do have certain emotions. I feel like we're playing over here a chess set over here. You mentioned, can you clarify the second emotion that you said? I said that I can't say that they're controlling me. They're just telling me that they're emotional people and they understand. And this case, there's no reason to feel emotional. So I, you know, I would like to shift this back to you as I do with clients. So what's wrong with what they said? Why are you triggered? I think because it keeps on repeating. Oh, something repeats? So if I tell you well, today no, is it Tuesday... Well, it's a daily thing. Oh, wait, wait, but wait, wait. If something repeated. What is repeating over and over? What step does it bother you that's repeating over and over? I think that they're just 
telling me that there's no reason for me to feel the way I feel. Now put those into more technical terms. So someone tells you there's no reason for you to feel something. Why does that bother you? What are you feeling? What are your emotions when they're telling you you should that not feel something? maybe I'm just over-emotional. That what? Maybe I'm just too over-emotional. So you hear them telling you you're too emotional. Right. So you're feeling attacked by those words, that you're too emotional. Either this, or they can tell me that um, you're hiding from your own emotions, and that's why this is emotional to you. Okay, and what does that bother you when they tell you you're hiding from your own emotions? Because um, I worked on that, and that's a trigger for me. So they are picking on your weakness spot that you feel you worked on, and they're telling you it's still there, yes. so you're triggered. So there are two points when you speak to them what you get triggered. Right. Good. Chances are, without you saying, you don't have to agree, disagree, just chances are it's a sister, mother, or first cousin, by the way. Don't respond to that. Okay. I wouldn't put it anywhere further than that because the way you're being triggered is saying that this is a deep emotional stuff. Not deep, but this is a long-time emotional pattern going on. Right. Get. Now, I am going to tell you something, which I like the concept very much, and that is when we get triggered by something, it's our emotion. So let me ask you something. What weakness or what validation are you looking for them that you're not getting from yourself? And the concept I always give is when a dog barks, it doesn't affect us. We might be afraid of that, but we're not barking back. If someone tells you something that doesn't, you don't feel is your issue, it doesn't trigger you. What part of it triggers you? Again, would you rephrase your question? What, the words that they say that maybe you aren't healed yet or that you're too emotional, are these issues that trigger you? that they might have used all their years, that you're too an emotional person? Um, no. They didn't say that I'm too an emotional person all the years, just the opposite. They used to say that I hide my emotions. Uh-huh. So they would tell you first you hide your emotions, and now they tell you you're too emotional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they know. I went for therapy for that. And they know about it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to share anything with them. Yeah. And okay, I so now let's go to your question. So what is your question? My question is, when I talk to them yeah. and I feel knocked down, how can I pick myself up and, and you just be okay and not when my kids come home from school, I should just be in that bad okay, so mood I can give and you I find the, my kids I'll fighting. give you the short version. Just know the short version won't work. It won't. Okay, I'll give you the short version because everyone likes the quick three-second answer. Okay. So the answer is no, that they don't mean to hurt you. No, they just mean to have a connection with you. When they tell you something, when they tell you something, or if you would feel comfortable with yourself, you can, it won't bother you. Number three is you can actually communicate with them. It means you can tell them, do you know that when you want to correct me or tell me something, please don't tell it to me. I have someone that had a conversation with a relative of theirs, and they told them, you know, whenever you want to speak to me, just speak to me positive stuff. And they go, but what happens if there's negative? So you know something, it's like 25 years of just correcting me all the time. Can you just give me 25 years of positive? And after we finish those 25 years of how great I am, then we could get to the balance. I wonder what would happen if you'd also mention it to them, because I want you to understand family members are many times not aware of what's going on. I'll tell you what, I, I did do that. Just a second, sorry, I'm not hearing it. Um, we're just playing around over here with the technical stuff. Go ahead, say I did again. tell them that, I'm sorry, I feel really down after I took to you, and, and I told them why. So they said, oh, really, they didn't even realize it, and I just played such a nice game because they didn't even realize during the conversation right. that I'm That's right. Hurt. So many but times what we try to do now is we try to create 
a code where the minute you start feeling a little attacked, which might not be what they mean to do, you can make that code with them. But I still want you to realize from my working, speaking to you a couple of minutes, you've gone to therapy and it's an amazing my recommendations to still keep on going. I find many times in my office and it's disappointing. There's no need. Who said there's no need? The therapist. I'm very surprised the therapist said there's no need. And the therapist said that basically she finds that I'm okay at this point. She said that if, at times, certain things trigger me, I should call her and come back and make an appointment with the trigger. Good. So now is the time to do that. And when you're going to have that, you might have another four or five sessions on the trigger and how you can handle it. And if the therapist, I'm pretty assuming, I'm assuming is pretty good because she looks like you got someone that's from not emotional to be able to call on ear is amazing growth that you've done in yourself. Then the therapist will help you still identify how to create the safe boundaries when that happens. Because this is pretty simple, safe boundaries. Now, if you'd like to do more inner work, it sounds to me like there's a lot of you trying to isolate the emotion to certain areas and if i would if you're asking me for my opinion there's still more work to be done feeling safe being able to get criticism a little how to be able to discuss it how and one other thing that i'd recommend i'm a very big believer in if your therapist is willing to do that go down with your sisters to the therapist maybe have your sisters have first or i made assumptions sisters cousins relatives whoever it is yeah whoever it is have them go once to that therapist first but this I wouldn't want. What? I wouldn't want that to happen. Why not? Because I don't trust them. You don't trust them with what? I would feel basically that behind my back they would just have a huge conversation out of me. So let me ask you something. Now, just to be clear, because that's what I tried getting to. Does, does this sound healthy? These are people you don't trust. These are people that you feel are going to be talking behind your back. That's what Absolutely. I'm hearing. And my issue is that if you'd be a client, I'd be a lot tougher on you. Okay, I have no Because you're, you're talking about major issues that you're now aware of. People you don't trust, people that talk behind your back. And the only issue you have with them is that when you speak to them, you know, they might knock you down or they correct you. Come on. Really what I'll tell a client is wake up to reality. You have a very painful relationship. You're getting hurt by them right and left. You've been hurt for many years, and you just want like a three-minute answer how to feel safe. You've got to learn how to protect yourself. You've got to learn how to be more assertive. There's so much more work. If you're a client of mine, I'll tell you, you've got another four, five, six months of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you feel this way about those people, I'm going to ask you, where else do you feel in life that people talking behind your back where you can't trust people? Can you give me a list of minimum 10 people that you really feel you can't trust? You'll tell certain things to. No, it's just them. Uh, impossible. I'm speaking as a therapist with experience, in my opinion. Would you, how many that. best friends could you share everything to? I'm expecting oh. you to say zero. One. I have one very, very close friend. That knows everything. Okay. And uh, how many people are second best friends that you can open up to? Uh, I have. Besides seven, for family, for sure. friends. I'm not talking about family now. Yeah, seven, eight for sure. I have a lot of friends. That's not the issue. It's just between sisters, basically. All right. So I'll just, we'll end with this. We'll go to the next couple of calls. So thank you for calling. And I'll just tell you, my opinion is you've done amazing growth. But the guardedness that I hear in your voice when I work with people is, I feel there's a lot more going on that maybe, Baruch Hashem, it's okay. And I could be wrong as well. No, 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 no. I'm just, I do validate your opinion. And I'll just try to see what I could do about it.
Right. Thank you very excellent. Much. Excellent. Very good. And and sometimes a little bit of space is also needed. I mean, speaking to family members at times might be good to limit it to a certain amount of what your conversations yeah, will be back uh, be about. Say, just one quick question. Do you think it like if I just finished therapy last like a week or two weeks ago, shall I give it a break of two, three months and then start again or you say continuous? My opinion is it was ended prematurely. That's my opinion. If you were my client it would not have ended. I'm being uh -huh. very clear with you. I would have kept it going. I would say you've gotten to the, to the stage of assertiveness where you're able to be open, you're able to verbalize to them, right. but that's one step of the process. Right. So you're, let's say, someone that we're teaching you how to walk and you learned how to take two, three steps. But to me, if the client is still in the situation where we got to get you running, then I'm not done the process. So I'm not saying you haven't accomplished anything. But if I was your therapist, I would not have said you're done by far. I would say I would I would appreciate and we would recognize and we would validate as you've said and we would and we would um, celebrate the success you've reached. Go back to the old one or go to a new one? What? My question is: Should I go back to the old therapist or I, go to a new one? I am a big believer in working things out with your therapist. I would tell your therapist, let them listen to this couple of seconds or these couple of minutes that we're talking, and okay. see what they recommend. Got it. Okay. And yeah, because I believe you've succeeded a lot. I'm not saying work hasn't been done. What I'm saying is work still needs to be done. And if you're in an active situation with family members where you're being triggered and you need the tools, that means you're not done yet. It means you need now the tools how to manage with family members. Right. Unfortunately, separating or disconnecting, I feel, is a tool and an unhealthy tool. Right. You don't learn to work it out and people will always tool, trigger basically. you. That was her tool, basically. That's so, right. like, disconnect from family. Just don't talk to them on a basic, on a daily basis. So then, okay, that is one of the tools, but that is the smallest level tool as you get stronger. The goal is not to disconnect. Mm -hmm. The goal is to learn what to communicate, how to communicate. I know someone that, that has a family member that has huge, huge anxiety, but the one thing they like talking about is other people. So they come prepared. I'm not going into now Lush and Hara or not, but they come prepared discussing things. So this one comes, what do you say about this and this goddle, or whatever it was, however they had it, and the conversation was, go instead of going to negative and their fears and their problems, it was always focused on the strengths. Wow, this person changed the world, and if you come prepare this, how to deal with it. However, if you are still so triggered by family members, either the family members are not healthy, which is li likely, or you're not yet strong enough how to be able to deal with it. Either way, therapy is still part of the process that we do it. So, I appreciate your call. It's actually extremely brave of you to call in. I appreciate your So, I appreciate it. I'm sorry that was a little tough on you, but in helpful. my opinion, something just isn't sitting right yet. But what you're doing is amazing. So, my suggestion is keep on going. If this therapist feels they've done all that they could or that's the best they could, no problem. Let's go to us. Go, go to a second opinion if you'd like it. If not, you're comfortable, go ahead. But to me, if you're still having this question, it means you're still in the process of therapy. You should have this answer dealt with. And let me also clarify, the point of therapy is that when you're done, you have the tools in your toolbox how to do it on your own. If you still need to ask the therapist advice, then you're too dependent on the therapy or the process isn't done. If you can start getting advice from outside sources, people that you trust, part of the therapy process is to be able to disconnect from the therapist and start creating help to start creating connecting to Rabbanim, to start creating a connection to friends, to start creating a connection to intelligent people that you respect. That is the goal. Once you can do that, you're now self-sufficient or interdependent. We're all dependent on someone. I didn't make the shirt that I'm wearing. I didn't make the suit that I'm wearing. 
We all need someone, but the question is, are you dependent? Can you manage your life without the person? Yes, without the person that made the suit that I am wearing, I can continue my life without that. I'll just go to someone else. Right. And it sounds like you still need the strength within yourself or to have the connection how to deal with those family members. And therefore, to me, the therapy process was ended prematurely. Got it. Okay, thank you very thank much. Thank you very much for calling in. We are going to line two to Shandy. Shandy, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? I'm sorry, yes. Hello? Yes, Shandy, you're on Hi, the air with Mordechai. Um, okay, I've been trying to make sense of something. Um, it doesn't make sense if a person has, uh, had a hobby and um, slowly they stopped enjoying what they're doing and by now it's like completely out of their routine. And I was asking, I was talking to her, and I was, she opened up to me finally, telling me that she thinks it was like an emotional pain that she went through a while doing this. And even now, when it's completely over, everything's back to normal. I mean, the, the person left that I heard her is not in picture anymore. He's not doing that anymore. She still lost complete interest in that specific thing that she used to love doing. Does that make sense to you? Well, we'll take it one piece at a time and we'll identify your part in this because I think it makes a big difference. And just as we're going to do that, the number to call, and for those of you that would like to ask your question, is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And um, we're also going over here to take uh, text questions, 347-927-8398. But most importantly is the callers to call in, 718-683-5858. So you're calling about a question that someone had a hobby for many years. We, I've, you've switched, at least I think you've switched, between he and she. So I'm not even sure if it's a boy, then a girl, or it's both. No, 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 it's a she. It's I a she. Him, sorry. So a woman that has, or whatever, a girl that had a hobby for many years, stopped it while they're going through a certain trauma, and now that the trauma, whatever difficulty has passed, they haven't gone no, no, back. I'll, I'll make it legal. Let's say somebody loved, loved playing piano lessons. Yes. And for many years they went to, to the lessons and then it, while she was there, somebody or hurt her feelings or or emotional pain went through and she stopped, fully stopped going. But now the person is not there anymore and, and it's it's completely a new setup and she wouldn't let they start even again. She's completely lost interest in it and uh, that's it. Okay, so I'm, I'm just, glad you mentioned, I was going to ask you what the hobby was, because it makes no, it very... No, it wasn't this hobby, it was actually more, more uh, serious thing in life, but just, uh, it's, uh, just to give you an example, I, I, I said this. Good, so let's assume it's piano, something okay. like that. Let's first understand hobbies without the word trauma. Hobbies to many people, we like our kids to play piano, we like our kids to do whatever it should be, guitar, or it should be art. After a while, the fun of playing Mary Had a Little Lamb and drawing little car caricatures get more serious. So you speak to anyone that takes piano, professional piano lessons, it's hard. It takes about an hour of practice a day. You want to be really good. You want to do just a little good. It's minimum 10 to, to 20 minutes a day. And while the fun part starts off as fun, as we know the rest of life, to really succeed, to have the great success, I call it the 80%, so the 20%, the 10% fun at the beginning, and the 10% fun at the end of success, but it takes the 80% of hard work. And okay. that's when most of the people drop all their hobbies, because it's not a hobby, it's actually work. It's hobby when you know how to play the music. It's hobby when you know how to draw, and then it's therapeutic. 
But learning the principles, practicing over and over is very hard work. And when you speak to the people that are good at sports, those that are good in learning, those that are good at any hobby, it's because the parents or someone pushed them and they pushed through the difficult 80% it happens of to me. life. It's, it's an adult. It's not a child. It's an adult. It's the same point as an adult. doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a hobby, I, I like to clarify when we use the word hobby. I know someone that gave their kids karate lessons, and yeah, they liked it the first six, seven weeks. But then when they start to have to practice it, and they weren't practicing, and other kids were better, then they hated it. Let's understand what the word mm-hmm. hobby is. It's a relaxing thing that we can just chill. If it becomes work, it stops becoming a hobby. That's something we need to recognize. Now, when we want someone to be successful on that, we need to recognize that that's what we're pushing them. Now, step one. So... When we want that 10% success at the end, after the 10% success at the beginning has passed, it's 80% of hard work. And that's what we need to recognize. So now, when this adult has gone through a trauma, chances are, or a hard time, that it was very difficult for them, that whatever the hobby was, but they did it. Now, under stress, we lose our muscles, which means our brain, stamina, is a muscle. So if you've got a power of up to 100 battery and you're using 80% for the hobby, now life is coming to hit us hard and we need to use 60% on life. All you've got is about 80%. You know, all, you, all you've got left is 40% for the hobby. Plus, you need 20% for other stuff. All you have is 20% left to do this hobby. That That's why people drop out of stuff. Right, right. But my real question is if everything has passed, now, let's take a step back. Here's where I'm going there. So now, we've got several options. Before we make assumptions why the person has stopped it, we need to first recognize maybe they didn't like it at all once life started hitting that 80% of toughness when they had to actually work on the hobby. So while they liked it at first, maybe they don't like it now. Step one. Step two, maybe this hobby might now bring up the trauma of the difficulties that they went through. That's trauma. That's association. That's why yard sites, I get questions all the time. Oh, it's three years since something happened and I'm starting to feel sad now. Does it make sense? Absolutely. That's trauma. Trauma triggers can bring up those emotions. So maybe this hobby is now almost like ruined for life unless you do therapy to heal the association, the connection that the uh-huh, brain that, has made. Uh-huh. But we're making assumptions what? here. I still want to go with the first part. When people say they have a hobby, so I've, had, I've seen it so many times, and they stopped it because of a difficult time in school. I see it all the time with children. But I speak to the kid, and the kid goes, I hated it. It's just finally I can drop it, and I don't want to go back to that. It wasn't fun. I had my parents breathing down my back. Did you do it? Did you do it? It became a pressure. They said they're doing it for me. I mean, well, I got it to be a whole pressure. I hate it. I hear this a lot. That's why I want to clarify. You're making an assumption, but I also know that there can be other assumptions as well. So before Mm -hmm. we assume why this person dropped the hobby, I would first ask them, why did you drop the hobby? It might have to do with the trauma. It might not have to do anything to do with that trauma. So hold on. So I I want to listen and remember, this is over here for awareness mainly. So the goal I'd like you to realize is pay attention and ask them, why did they do it? Now, if they say they dropped it because of the trauma, now, what is your question? So, so it make, I mean, this makes sense to you? If, if that, that's the reason I should accept that answer from her? Like, she, it makes sense to you that a person, even though the trauma is over, she's completely a new setup and the person is, is I mean, not there anymore? I mean. So let's understand something. I've just given you two assumptions that could happen. And you're going back to your assumption. So let me explain to you one of the main rules in therapy. We don't know what is going on. We stop assuming. 
Uh, you're not getting it. I want to say it again because I want to say it like five times to, to get in. Don't assume why your friend. You heard that second little bit. That's why I purposely didn't give you that little fish, that little bite, because I feel like I'll hook you. I'll get you on the hook. And I feel you did that. I gave about five minutes talking about how there might be other issues, why she might not be interested in the hobby. And all you want to hear is trauma and association. And open up to the therapist. What? I just tell her to, to like, go to therapy. We'll get there in a minute. Work. I got a separate question for you. What's it your business? Are you a friend? What's yeah, your connection? Are you she a sister? Comes, I mean, she called me up to how I can help her. So I'm Oh, the friend is asking you how you can help her? Yeah. Oh, what is she asking you help for? What does she want? Wait, what does she hold on? Do you do you let's let's go hold on. Let's let's stop a second. Let's try let's try something different. Let's try that when I speak you don't, and when you speak I don't. We're talking over each other a couple of times. Now let's try this. What is your role? Your your friend called you up and asked you, please help me that I can take again, I can do again my hobby? Uh, not exactly. It okay. Was, she, I always ask her, why did you stop doing your hobby? Let's stop why a second. Let's stop it? a second. Hold on. Hold on. Let me just, let's stop. Why do you ask her that question? Out of plain friendship, we, we were very close, and I always knew that she liked doing that specific thing. And uh, I was asking, why did you stop it? Like, what, what made you stop doing this? Okay, now stop a second. Hold on, hold on. Let's stop here. I want you to be aware because when I'm speaking to you, I seem to sense that you have certain things in mind. What did you really mean when you're asking her why she stopped? Um, Are you trying to get her to realize... Are you trying to get her to realize that maybe she stopped because of the trauma? Are you trying to get her to realize if she goes back to her hobby, she'll be happy and you're trying to make her happy? What do you really mean by that innocent question? Maybe that, that I'm trying to make her happy again, maybe. That's right. So now you're trying to make her happy, and you're feeling all responsible to do that. That, that yeah, that, that's a separate uh, That's not a separate, that is the that, whole that's thing. That's my issue, that's nothing to do with her. Oh, exactly. Now it does have everything to do with her, because you're going to help her based on you. That's one of the steps that before we help anyone, we got to let go. We don't help anyone. If you do therapy, it's one of the worst jobs for you to get into. It can ruin your entire life. Do you think I can help every client that comes through my door? Do you think I can take the achrayas of helping every client that comes through my door? Chas v'shalom. Do you know how many times I need to tell people, sorry, I'm not responding to email for three, four days? Not calling anyone back? Leave the message to the secretary. I'll try to respond through her. If you have an agenda that you're speaking to her and you need to make her happy, understand it's going to be very stressful. You're going to be thinking about her all the time. You're going to be trying to do different stuff. It's going to be so stressful. And that's why when we help people, we need to have the tools how to be able to take care of ourselves. I struggle on this daily. I could hear my wife saying, oh, yeah, sure. (laughs) But uh, I do take a lot home with me, in my mind especially. And I do work a lot of stuff after hours. But I still, what I do is maybe 10% of what I would have done had not for the other stuff. So before you help someone, we need to recognize how we're doing it. And that's what I hear from you. I hear the agenda and you won't understand she stopped it because of an association. You have a certain goal in mind and that's not how we help people. We help people by letting them get to where they are, being able to push them. My goal is if I speak to you, I want to see that you're getting happy. I've got some clients I could tell them, you're coming here three times. I don't see it moving. My commitment to you coming into my office is movement will happen. And if not, you want to sit, kvetch. There are other therapists that might be willing to do that, but not in my office. Mm-hmm. So I shouldn't just to mind your own business, basically. 
That's not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is speak to your friend. Tell when I speak to you, I want to hear you. I want to hear you're getting better. Now I think you'll get better by going back to your old hobby. Now it's very clear. Mm-hmm. You're not getting better. I'm speaking to you already for six months. Maybe you need now a therapist. Maybe you need to open up to your parents before we jump to therapists. Maybe you can open up to an older sister or a brother. Maybe you have mm-hmm. a rubber or a Rebbitson or a teacher that you can right, open right, up right. to. But you're a friend. That's only your role. That's a big role. But you're also not therapist. I get you. And by you taking care of yourself and recognizing, okay, look, I'm speaking to you right for six weeks, and it's only getting worse. You're getting more and more depressed. You're opening up about things you haven't opened up to. I can't handle that. Or I'm trying to now get you better. We've got to come up with some other ideas. All right? But so thank you thank for you being so an amazing friend. Thank you. And and Hatzlacha. We yes, are going to go to Leah on line one. Leah, you're on the air with Mordechai. Whoops. We are going to go to Bela on line three. Bela, you're on the air with Mordechai. Yes, hi. Thank you so much for everything. Um, My pleasure. I have a question. Yeah. I am, I'm in therapy now for something that you always talk about, about if I can somebody, can get somebody to go for help, I go for help so I could be helped in order how to deal with this person. Codependence is that wonderful word that I like Who's talking. I call it the I'm second the number one diagnosis in the from world. Number two. So I'm the codependent? Well, dependent is the one that really needs you. Let's say the negative one or the one that's being abusive or the one refusing help yeah. codependent yeah. is what codependence in short because many times people are just tuning in now for the first time codependence okay. means my happiness is dependent on that person getting better or that person being healthy mm-hmm. so we need the other person to stop drinking we need the person to bring in money then i'll be happy we need the person to be home to take care of the kids for me to be happy we need the person to be perfect for me to be happy yeah. We need our kids all on the derech for us to be happy. We need all our kids getting hundreds for us to be happy. That makes us codependent. Our happiness is dependent on another. And as someone once told me, I've got six kids, so I need all six of them to be perfect, and only then can I be happy. That is codependence. Okay, but this is not such a close. It's not a spouse or a child. It's actually, I could say it, I'm not meant to say it. it's my sugar. It's a mother-in-law problem. Sure. So I'm going for help for a while already. It's probably like uh, eight sessions, like two Oh, months, by the way, in therapy, like that's it. not a lot. Let me clarify. In, in therapy, not that's barely starting. Oh. <laughs> let, me, let, me share with you, let me share with you how I view issues. Okay. Um, kindly, without saying your name or your, your age, but would you say you're married between, let's say, 20 years plus? Yes. Excellent. So what I tell people is if you would just give one session for every entire year, that you've lived with that, mm-hmm. that's a good start. Now, if I would say, can you just imagine, there's a, I, I don't remember exactly offhand the math, but I think it's 8,720-something or 23 hours in a year. Okay. If you will just take two sessions, mm-hmm. that's let's say it's a 45-minute session, let's say an hour, that's two hours to heal 8,723 <laughs> hours of pain yeah. with this person a year. Very, We're yes, talking yes. about 40 sessions just to start. So now, when you say you've taken 80 out of 40, and you say a lot, would you say that's a lot? Would you say we're not even halfway there? We're not even a quarter there? No. Right. Uh-huh. Good. But the thing, the thing, the way the therapist is doing, that she's going into inner child. Yes. Ah, that's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> 
So you're all now. Let's take a step friends. back. Now, when we're dealing with inner child, we're recognizing your shvigar is only the second manifestation out of that. But really, it comes from your source. It means you might have had family, yeah. parents, yeah. or yeah. sisters that yeah. you had to bend for them, take care of, couldn't have your mm -hmm. own choice, yeah. and we're easy to blame shvigars because they're such an easy target. No, but there's no, she really, but, but we read together, we really believe there is no other trigger. There's nothing. All these inner child that we've gone Good. Can I try with you a couple of minutes on air? What is it? Can I, can I work with you two minutes on air? Sure, that's why I'm calling. Beautiful. So okay. since you mentioned the word trigger, I would, trigger, I would like to actually give, uh, first of all, a fantastic mazel tov to my in-laws, my schwer and schwiger. My brother-in-law, Shlaimi and his wife, Nechami, had a baby girl right before Shavuos. So Mazel Tov on my in-laws on having a granddaughter, another granddaughter enter the family. So of Simchas by everyone, by us, adorable, cute baby. And her name is Mindy. So welcome to the family, Mindy Bornstein. <laughs> now that we've done that, and I've got to tell you for PR, and I'll probably hear about this, but I've got the from the fantastic, amazing in-laws. Go ahead and I'll go deal with yours. So... It okay. can do me. Let's do a favor. What is the trigger that you have with your mother-in-law? What's the trigger? Ay, ay, ay. Just one. <laughs> give me the number one, not the top five. Just num you know, give me top three, and not the okay. whole version. She's controlling. She's negative. No, she's no, just, she is. Oh, you know what I want to say? She's exactly. Uh, that's also one of the questions I wanted to ask. She's exactly the opposite of codependent. She's nothing. What does nothing mean? Nothing. She's I always. I, I always. I read stories or hear stories about the sugar coming, popping in for a visit, doing something that's not proper. My sugar's not. She's not. She's. She's nothing. She doesn't do anything. Doesn't. She's not. No emotions attached. Never ever anything anywhere. Now it, hold on. Let's stop a second. Is that not an issue? It's a big issue. Why is it an issue? So let's not say nothing. So what you're. Let's rephrase it. That her issue is she cannot give any emotion. She cannot not do the role of a mother and a mother-in-law. Not physically, not financially, not That's nothing, right. So nothing. let's take a step back. So what would you call that emotion? For me or for her? Well, what would you call that problem first? A shvigar problem. No, that is a wonderful <laughs> person that has gone through whatever trauma she's gone through in her life that she yeah. is not able to give emotion. She cannot do a role as a mother Can't, and a right. role as a grandmother. That's an right. issue. Can right. we acknowledge that? Yes. Good. So now, let's take a step back. Let's take that issue. Mm -hmm. Who in your past, before you got married, did you have mm -hmm. an issue where you either helped them and they didn't say thank you, or you tried to heal them and you couldn't help them? I don't know. I wouldn't. I wasn't Would you? Would, try. We'll try it. I wasn't into that. I wasn't into As that. As a girl, life. did you try helping your house? And which no? Did you try healing your house? Did you try my helping house, your mother my, when my, she my, couldn't my, manage? My, 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 my family, my, my mother's house, you mean? Of course. We're only, inner, by the way, inner child, we're talking about the first 10 yeah, years of yeah. your life. Yeah, yeah. First 10 years. Okay. Yeah. I'm saying teenage. I, I let people get away in clients when they go to teenage, but we really push first 10 years. As a kid growing up, yeah, were you yeah. someone that helped yeah. a lot and didn't get the right thank yous that you needed? I didn't help a lot, but I didn't get thank yous. Okay, now let's stop a second. So here you already got the association. I don't know which therapist is doing inner child with you, but we just got in about a minute and a half. Okay. Let's understand. What? Your yeah. past, you did not get thank yous. 
-hmm. Your mother-in-law, after, which we love blaming her, but she's not the cause, is now no. mirroring and evoking a painful emotion that was not healed within you. Exactly. And therefore, it's easy to blame the present time people. When we do inner child subconscious yeah. therapy, as I call it, we yeah. find all the associations all the connections that are pained within us, when we heal ourselves, all of a sudden it's amazing how we could look at that person and accept our limitations. So I've got a secret to tell you. Every single person on this world is going to have a limitation, including perfect me. Yeah. All right? Yeah. Okay. And that means the more you know me, the more limitations and more chasroinus you will be seeing in me. What we need to learn in life is how to accept that everyone's got that. And if we can heal ourselves, we can accept them. So when can I start expecting healing? Well, let's no, first understand it. I, I, out of, I first don't know which therapist to send you to. You're going to a therapist. You've gone for eight sessions, and they couldn't do this association, find your weakness. Yes. I just helped you no, get in two minutes. No, they did. They did. They, for sure. They told me it's the inner child. She also recognized all this. Wait, wait. I'm, I'm not clear. I'm Hold on. Let's, let's take a I'm, step back. You, yes. I got the call that you're doing inner child. You're going to a therapist for eight sessions, and you see no association of your mother-in-law and your past. Yes, of course I do. Oh, what is I it? Do. Sorry, so clarify. So why did I do know. that? Tell me, what are the associations? Tell me about your past. Um, I was very, I had a hard childhood. And Go ahead, give some details about your hard, tough childhood. Um, and let's see how each of those are mirrored by your mother-in-law and others. Um, some things I can't say. Of course so not. We're on air. Thank you for, I'm sorry that I didn't give you that protection. So let me give you that. Please protect yourself. And those of you listening at all times, feel free to say it's private. We're on air. Yeah. Go ahead. But so I had a lot of, um, a lot, a lot, there was a lot of issues. Okay. And um, I thought I'm past that. But now that we're doing inner child, I see that I still... Far I, from I, it. Yeah. Yeah, because I built around, but she said, like, I built a, a very big, uh, whatever it's wall, called. Wall, protection. A, a we wall deny. Of course, we block it because we don't have the tools. So let me ask you, what yeah. tools does this therapist do with you to heal the inner heart, the inner child? She's doing the, the what's it, oh, fuck yeah, the, the word ESP, what is it called? Uh, I know EFT, emotional freedom technique? No, something but about, um, she does either the vibration, my hands, the two things, or oh, kinesiology. With my fingers across my eye, back front of my eyes. Okay, so those are different type therapy to heal yeah. your inner child as well. No, we're not doing that yet. That's what I'm asking, that's the question. When should I start feeling that we would actually get That question, you need to speak to that therapist, because while oh. I, I personally do believe in a lot of these energy healings type therapy, oh. but I am a huge believer, which is a lot stronger, and you need the awareness. You cannot do it through subconscious therapy only. Your conscious needs to be healed. You need to heal the con subconscious through conscious. And therefore, you need to start doing uh, imagery. You need to start healing the inner child. You need to start learning tools that could have helped the inner child and yeah. imagine that that little child is now protecting themselves, taking care of themselves, yeah. verbalizing what they need. And that is not just vibrational or muscle testing energy, healing. No. No, uh -huh. that, I do not believe that can heal a problem. No, it can heal uh -huh. part of it. But uh -huh. I do believe you need therapy. And I know several of the top from people that do this energy type healing. And I know they all send to therapists for that reason. Uh-huh. So, so I should tell her this. I should tell her that I don't feel we're going getting anywhere with it. Um, definitely. First of all, eight sessions, you got to feel something. Yeah. Start something. And also to be aware, ask her if, they, if she knows anyone that does the inner child healing on a logical level where you're aware, Love. you're able to change patterns. You might have to imagine and visualize your past changing. And uh -huh. those tools that we can re-give our inner child, the subconscious, is what yeah. we can now utilize in the future, in uh -huh. present time life. 
Uh, but so the rule doesn't stand for this, as you say, because it's a, such a deep problem, it's going to take longer. It will take longer. It will take. So it means to say, but, but after... No, months, you need several types. Doing. I've got clients. I mean, I'm taking courses right and left because each client needs something else. Someone mm-hmm. like you, I'd recommend you do two, three different therapies, therape- therapeutic oh. modalities at the same time. I would ask you, A to take the, this vibrational stuff, continue it only if you see it's working. Some, not everything mm-hmm. works with everyone. This might not be working with you. B, mm-hmm. inner child work with his actual imagery, identifying the past, working that out. C, doing even real logical cognitive therapy. Your mother-in-law doesn't give. What tools can you do now? How can you face it? Deeper than that, how are you, because you need to help or because you feel people have to thank you, how are you affecting your children? Mm-hmm. That's cognitive therapy. I don't have a difficulty telling you that why don't you just go to three therapists for about mm-hmm. six months at the same time, because they're all mm-hmm. different jobs, and heal your whole life at one shot. Oh, and what an okay. investment. Let's say you're going to invest $5,000. We pay mm-hmm. that to our tuition for one kid a year. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. we're not even happy with that. Imagine you can change your entire life, your husband's life, your children's <laughs> lives, just yeah. by six months of $5,000 investment, $10,000 investment. People are so worried. Oh, my gosh, the therapist is so expensive. No, it's not. You get an entire life's investment for $10,000. I watch how people are busy investing money, losing 10000 here, 100000 here, and practically a guarantee where you see it's working and you're changing. All no, it takes is $10,000 and your entire life has changed. I'm talking mm-hmm. about expensive shooting money out there. Mm-hmm. Sure, mm-hmm. go for all three thera- therapeutic modalities at once. Mm-hmm. Just don't because, stop. Just get better. Okay. No, it's all within you. It's Siata Deshmai. You can get that. Okay. I will. I will do as much as I can. Thank you so much for the physics. Thank you. Thank you for that. And we are going to go now to line one. Leah, we lost you before. We got you back. Leah, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes. You hear me now? Yes. First of all, I have to thank you for everything that you do for the call. Me and my friend are hooked. We're addicted to your line. Oh, wow. Hook sounds great. Addicted in my business starts sounding a little negative, but okay. (laughs) Yeah, but we're really like... Whenever there's anything new, it's like instant. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I have a child that has, like, fears. He went to a therapist, and we did see a very big improvement. But when anything triggers, you know, the fears come back. I tried doing what you did on the phone line with, I think it was Eliyahu. Eliyahu, the Shishim Gebarim. Yes. Yes. He has a problem. How old is your kid, first of all? He's almost 12. Almost 12, okay. Yeah. He has a problem imagining things. Whenever I tell him, imagine or make believe, he, he could only see things that are real and concrete. Like, even when the therapist was trying to teach him problem solving, and the therapist came up with problems, that he sh- how he would solve those problems, he couldn't, he's like, but it didn't happen. It's not happening. Unless you use an example that actually happened to him, or he knew the example because he knew that it happened to somebody, he would be able to work with it. If it was something that he didn't see it happen, it's not happening. There's no such a thing. So I asked him, let's say he was scared that it's going to be, he heard a story of a fire that happened in a house, the baby's blanket caught onto fire, and then they got saved. So he was scared that the baby's blanket was going to catch onto fire. So I, I tried asking him what would make him feel safe, and, I, and he kept on saying that nothing, nothing, nothing. So I tried to help him with giving him maybe a few examples, but it's not true, but it's not true. It's, it, it's 
it's not happening. So let me explain to you something. First, what you're doing right and what needs a little bit of help. Number one, if you've noticed when I worked with LEO, I asked him, before we go into any solutions, we first need to identify the problem. Which means I okay. bet you the problem is not the fire. You have him go deeper. What is holding you back? When you're trying to create a solution before you've done, gone to the core, it's not going to work. So what are you afraid of if that happens? We took all the way. Someone's going to break in. And why are you worried about that? They'll kidnap me. Why are yeah, you worried so, about that? So we I, had to go. I, I did that. So he, he boiled it down that the baby's blanket is going to catch on the fire, and then the baby will get burned. And then what? That, then he won't have a baby brother. Well, the, we happen. got to. Well, that sounds like an assumption. We need to go. And then what? Then you'll be alone. Then mommy will be sad. You got to take it that step further. Take it to him. What's his okay, emotion? If you I want start going into more... So again, here's where we got the difficulty, and here I'm going to say this to all the listeners, and please understand, you want, for those that it works when we listen, and those that try it, I get such a pleasure out of getting the nachas that you're able to do that, but understand, being that we're parents, being that you're not licensed therapists, being that you have no training in the system at all, mm -hmm. it won't work most of the time, because you're just not trained in it. So if you've mm -hmm. never, I don't know if you've ever had any experience with therapy on anyone, or how to do, there is so much to the system, it seems simple, and while those of you might not notice how I circumvented, or there was a block that I noticed, and I knew how to get around, but when you hit the block, you won't know how. Mm -hmm. So I've got a guy that I'm working with now, and there was a huge amount of training that I had this person train with blockages. And this person sat in my office for about four weeks, three to four weeks, just watching me work on every single client after I've trained him, after he has experience, just watching how you get through, through the bumps. So if you'd like, I don't want your kid to miss school, but if you're comfortable enough, Mertzchem, let's aim for next week, and we will try to have you, maybe have your 12-year-old, and we'll see if I can get through those bumps. So all I'm saying is that this... What? I don't think I'll feel comfortable doing that. Okay, well then, then we got to see if we can either get him to my office or to someone that does inner work or things with fears, because it's not that difficult. This is what I do all day, you know, and this is things like that, but... If you've tried, I can give you one or two tools that I can help you. But understand, I can't teach you all of therapy, and I'm not allowed to teach you all that in about three minutes on the phone. I, I understand. So for and those that get it, so I'm getting feedback from people. I've read a line or two, three messages from people from the radio that just basically said, thank you. I use the tool, and it helps. That's fantastic. So someone's emotionally expressive, someone that's able to identify things, it will go smooth. But most people, it's not that smooth. That's why you need a therapist. That's why you need someone with experience. So now My let's question go with, is also, yeah. besides that, I, I, I feel in other areas as well, he has this blockage of imagining or thinking things that are not real. He cannot imagine anything. Now that might be, is and that, that's why in play therapy they use actual toys and dolls and objects. So you actually need to show it to him, okay, now, uh, for example, one of the play ther in play therapy, there are to toys. And you go, what's your fear? And they pick out the toy. What in this room will calm you down, will give you the reassurance? What do you need? And then they might pick a figure of a strong action figure. They might take a figure of a father. They might take a figure of a rov. They might take a figure of Har Sinai or something that they might think will represent like a, a flashlight. So on. I still represent like the Rabbi Nishleon, like a bright light will protect them. Many kids need the groundedness, especially the younger kids, but I find 12-year-olds. I've been in Lakewood. We were running a group for two and a half years where we used for adults figurines like Santry. But again, it's played. It worked amazing. 
if we can recognize that some kids need tangible stuff. So everyone like is different. Even not with fears, you know, not when I'm talking about fears. If anything, if I'm trying to 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 teach him something, let's say that's right. So hold on. So you're trying to teach skills. him a ta you're trying to teach him something, but being that you're the mother and being that this is a blockage, sometimes it might be hard for you to teach him that. And I even had a therapist trying to teach him, let's say, social skills, and he it wasn't a therapist, somebody that does social skills, and. She 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 got stuck when she w went with any examples that were not real, that n that didn't happen to him yet. The real examples that could happen, but because it didn't happen to him, he was it's not true. Okay, then we need to teach him that, and there's a way to teach him that. That's again therapists for kids that will teach it. Mm -hmm. I can start giving. You can might take examples. Maybe he can take imaginary example again if there are dolls and toys out there. And we can start building. And you do that, you practice on that. Many times how they teach that skill is where they have books, pictures. And they go, okay, guess the rest of the story. There are lots of ways to build it. Mm -hmm. So right now, I'm, we're changing your question from how do you deal with my kid that has fears and anxiety to how do we teach my kid now to have more of an imagination? Right. And because that would be now. Fears and anxiety used to be very, very big. But because after he went to therapy, Great. It, so, I could say it's almost gone. It's just, if you heard okay, so I would like to go in the next minute story. because our phone lines are literally lit up the entire time. And I've, I want to try okay. to get to as many calls as we can now. So my, my suggestion to you is start taking a book that he hasn't read and then ask him, what do you think will the next page happen? What do you think we'll say on the next page? Start asking uh -huh. different stories. Start imagining. Just make it up. If you could make up a story, what would the story be like? Start activating the imagination. Start uh -huh. taking a, a picture, and that's many, many things what they do in projective testing. When you want to know what someone's thinking, you just show a picture. What do you think is happening in the story? And if someone's got an angle, they'll say, oh, there's going to be a fight in two minutes. If someone is calm, look how, how peaceful the picture is. Everyone will see what they need, what they see in that picture. Picture, it works with any picture. So mm -hmm. these are ways to get the imagination going. Just what do you think? Mm -hmm. Book. Make him imagine Take a figure. What do you think like this person is? Take any toy. What do you think was going on this person like in this toy before or after? Mm -hmm. Make it up. And that will start practice. That will start building on the kid's imagination. Thank you, Leah. I am so yes. glad, actually, that you held, that you called back and were able to take your caller. We are going now to... Thank you. Sure. We are going now to Malki on line five. Malki, you're on the air with Mordechai. Okay. So um, thank you so much for your hotline. I really enjoy it. My pleasure. For those of you listening, my hotline is where we take the questions and answers. We've got recordings of this program's daily motivational quotes, which I'm almost completely caught up to, in English and in Yiddish, questions and answers. And that number is 718-298-2011, 798 and it's all free little initials, my father. Thank you for that. And what is your question? Okay, so I'm in high school, and I have this girl that wants to be my friend, but she's a really she's a bad influence. And I don't know, she has like a cell phone, and she's like proud of it. And um, also, I heard from like other people that she sticks to you. Like once she becomes your friend, she like really sticks to you, and I. Like, yeah. right when she started trying to be my friend, I know, I already felt like she was with me, like, the whole day. And, like, I know. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I forgot to mention that um, 
I was told, someone told me that she comes to school, like, she comes just for me, just to see me. So She comes to school how? Just to see me, like she... Just to see you. Okay. Let's let's clarify two things that you're asking that you've mentioned in your question. Your question is that you're, you're in high school and there's a friend that A, can be a bad influence because she has a cell phone. And no, not be- only because of that. Also, like, I know it's me, or like other things. She's a bad influence. Okay, so it's hard to know what when you say bad influence without details. So she she doesn't have such great sneers. She doesn't? Um, she doesn't? No. She doesn't? Why? I didn't hear it. She doesn't have such great sneers. Sneers? Yeah, she has um, a cell phone, and she's actually very proud of it. And okay, so let's take first step there, and then we'll take this. So the first part is there's a friend in school that you don't feel is the right influence for you. Okay. And good. So now what the answer is, we say that. You have a right to choose who to be your friends or not. If someone will not have a good influence on you, then that's not the right person to have your friend. Right, but in a way, um, she doesn't really have so much friends. Here's where we go. That's what I was waiting for. Because let me just tell you, first thing that I said is I don't really believe that first step. It was just to get you talking. If... Someone has a frumkite issue that we think it will affect us. You need to be able to protect yourself. That's true. But sometimes we call someone not a good influence, like cell phone and proud of it isn't such a good thing. Sneers is a major thing, which is to be concerned of who our friends are, because what we talk about, what they talk about, becomes normal. However, sometimes people are okay, are good. Just they have an issue in one place that won't affect us at all. We could even not talk about that. And we somehow puzzle people. We separate them, we isolate them, which is very not healthy. So instead of, we can sometimes label someone as a problem, and then the next thing you know, that's what's happening. Just as an example, I like giving the stock market. We have enough oil in this world, planet, now to last a good couple of years. When the price of gas goes up or down, it's not for now. It's in 10 years from now or in five years from now when the supplies run out. And we're basing now based on the future. And sometimes I hear from sad kids, but from kids that were denied friendship, were knocked out because people said they are modern. People said they're doing things, which was never true. So let's be clear. And that's why I don't believe just because someone has an issue, don't be around them. I've heard in the literature world from Eileb Steinman, he said when someone asked him if a kid is not so good, should you remove him from the class? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Half my class were Mahalish Shabbos. And look what I turned out. Now, I'm not here to say that to be that clear. What I'm trying to say is, let's stop being so worried about everything, and let's really see the influence. Let's see what's really, what's really going on. So instead of isolating, I'm not telling this to you. This is, again, for awareness. Teachers, if there's a kid that's not behaving well based on the tznias, first I think kids should be telling the teachers so the teachers are aware of it, and then we could be makar of this girl or this boy. Let's work on it. Let's not let them slip through the, through the cracks and then two years later inform the parents, oh, by the way, your son is having problems or your daughter is having problems. Let's deal with it today. Right, so this girl, um, I really, I don't think that's the problem. I think I just don't want to leave her because she doesn't have any friends. Like, whenever yes. I'm together with her, I try, like... And here's like, now something, first of all, now let's take a step back. Here's where you need to discuss this with the teachers. Is it your job to make sure she has friends? Is it your job to make sure her sneeze is okay? No, but it is your job to inform the teachers that the school should know about it. It is their job to take care of it. They get paid for that. And if they're not getting paid, they're still taking that achrayas. When a kid is walking through their doors, it's their responsibility. It's their job then to try to get the parents on board. If the parents aren't doing their responsibilities, then the school's got to do the best that they could. 
and you can make an entire rotation of this friend, this girl, or two girls will be her friend at a time. This way, maybe one-on-one -on -one there'll be an influence. It's not your job to have that all on yourself. Impossible to take a girl that might be going through difficult times and all you're supposed to take care of it, especially when we're going to deal now with the second part where you're mentioning she's very clingy and very needy. Which yeah. means she's going to hang around you. If you do too much of anything, it will be choked. Chesed. There's a halacha as to how much, how, to how much, sorry, a tzedakah you're allowed to give. More than that isn't. Up to a right. certain level, the, the svarim bring down, a lot of the chesidish svarim bring down, too much of any midah isn't good. You look at too much of chesed, unfortunately Yishmol came around from that. Too much of gevura, from Yitzchak, you had Esav come out that way. You need the Yaakov, the teferis, the balance. If you need to now take care of her or she becomes your friend completely, it's too much for one teenage girl to take care of. You need an entire intervention. You need a case manager. You need teacher aware of it, teacher saying, okay, the next two weeks, you two girls will be speaking to her, will be practicing with her. Invite her out for lunch. It's as a team, it can work. If you got to do it upon yourself with a little information that the teenagers have about dealing with things, you're going to get overwhelmed so quick. And that's probably what happened to your other friends. And that's why they're telling you, oh, she's going to be so clingy. Yeah. But if an adult would be managing this, it would be very different. One I thing I do want you to realize is, I do believe it is your, your responsibility, and I don't know if you'll have the strength to do it, but to inform the teacher as to what's going on. I have a teacher a listen kid, to a recording. What? A different kid that was like in the same situation, she went over to a teacher, like also she said that there are other girls and whatever. This teacher said that um, we should... I should show her her distance, but... You should show her what? A distance, but... Like, that's not helping. I got her showing a distance, but hold on. That's not... So then try another teacher. There are so many teachers. Find out which teachers in school that understands these things. Have someone lead you guys. You girls need a leader, someone to lead this intervention, this process. I do. The thing between... I'm a very, very bubbly girl, so it's like I can't even, like, stop talking, <laughs> to her, like, even for, like, a job. I can't... Okay, so there's so like, much going on. I would just like you to know, I don't want to go to the details over here, because I almost feel it's almost like Sakanas Nefashas. Literally, a person's life is at stake over here. If a girl's isolate a girl in the class because rumors of what people are saying, or if this girl's asking for help and we isolate and distance, these are the kids that are pain, that are hurt, that can go through years and say, people drop me, and it can even get worse than that. And it is a job of the school to help out. It's the job of the school to get the parents to help out and for the parents to help out. That is part of the job. You doing it alone is not healthy. I don't want to give you tools to distance because that might be the worst thing for this girl. What I want to give you the tool is speak to a teacher. If that teacher didn't work, speak to another teacher. If that didn't work, speak to a third teacher. Go over to the two other friends that were helping her out in the past that they're burnt out now. The three of you together approach the teachers. Don't do it on your own. But work as a team. I don't want to hear that we've blocked out a kid because they have one or two bad things. We can change a girl. You can tell the girl, I want to be your friend. Us three want to be your friend. But please, get rid of the cell phone. Tznius is an issue to us. We can be your friend if you wear more Tznius clothing. And if you drop the cell phone, we'd like to include you. And if you have three girls doing it together, if you have a school teacher helping you out and you have an entire intervention going on, you can bring this girl to be the from Hashkafa and she might forever be a changed person. You cannot do it alone. You're too young to do it alone. And the responsibility, the success or failure should not be on your shoulders. My advice to you is go with your two other friends, speak to a teacher, then speak to another teacher. And the goal is for you to have a leader lead you. That is the goal.
All right. Okay. <laughs> so you're fantastic, amazing, Malki, and it's unbelievable. We are going to just skip to, let's go to, we'll do it quickly. Let's go to Nechama on line six. You're on there with Mordechai, and then we're going to go to Maishi and David. Both of you have been holding a very, oh, we just lost Maishi. Maishi, call back. We'll take you next. Nechama, you're on the air with Mordechai. Okay, hello. First, I just want to thank you for the program. I really enjoy listening. I find it very informative and inspirational. I really love the combination of psychology and Torah together. Thank you. Um, okay, I want to know if you'd be able to elaborate a little bit on the topic of teenagers giving their friends personal space. I, like I'm thinking... Um, like especially now before camp, girls going to camp, spending a lot of time together. I <coughs> just how to create that balance of knowing how to be like close friends, but yet not too close. How to know that you're not like overstepping certain boundaries, and like which areas fall under this category of giving like healthy space between teenagers. When you're saying healthy space, I feel it's very. <clears throat> very vague, and I think you have something very specific in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so specifically <clears throat> I'm focusing on a specific teenager that has an issue of getting very close to girls, meaning um, just like touching, hugging, touching their personal belongings, asking too many questions. And overall, she's such a wonderful girl, but when it comes to this specific issue, she ends up getting burnt because friends will automatically back off her. Okay, so let's, uh, let's be now clear with your questions that you're asking. <clears throat> what, the question that you're asking is that you as a parent or as an adult is seeing that two friends are getting or a friend is too close. And personal space, personal space to me meant just having like a little space if you don't want to speak to someone. What I find your concern is that the relationship is too close. There's mm-hmm. a lot of touching going on, hugging going on that's starting to have you a little bit concerned. Right. And... Uh, there and this person as okay and this person's even touching like a lot of the person's items right, or stuff. Right. so let's first be clear and i like clarifying that there are many different natures that the rabbi shalom has created one of those natures are someone that is kinesthetic means they feel by touching okay and they feel someone like hi how you doing especially by men there's one guy will give a slap on the back and this one that is so sensitive and needs space will go this guy is beating me up and it's mm-hmm. not beating and it's not a bully situation. It's just a person that's very physical and a person that is very the other way, that is very that that's very not physical and like very sensitive, I should even say. So they're dainty and they can appreciate the finer points. Usually these physical people don't appreciate classical music. They like the boom, 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 and and that. Mm-hmm. So let's first recognize that this girl what we need to do is first un- understand that it might be an issue of natures at play. Okay, That's, if I can just, yeah. can I add one piece, sure. which maybe it's an assumption, and I, when, when I was talking to her a little bit, I got the idea that in her family, she comes from like a large family, and it seems like what, like what, was, what like just sounded interesting to me was that not everyone has their like set place at the table, their bed that's theirs for whatever a long yes. time. They're like always just, you take a bed, you take a place. Like I felt that's like right. it wasn't that system set in place where you have yes. your things that belong to you. 
Now, maybe it's my assumption that it's carrying over, but it was almost like a, a casual right. like, conversation that just emerged, and to me it would seem like a red flag. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, let's take a step back. Maybe it's not a red flag, that this is her style. So if we're raised that yours is mine and mine is yours, and today this bed is mine and this bed is yours, your, your book is that, or your personal clothing that she can just go through and touch, which in general many families, they won't go through that or that underwear drawer which maybe siblings won't go through, but in that family, since everyone is, everything is interactive or anything is everyone's, mm -hmm. she might not even mind anything that's not healthy. Now, what's needed is, and here's a fantastic opportunity for you to teach your daughter or this relative, whoever it is, to start teaching about personal boundaries that you might have one style, but this is my style. So she can make a conversation saying, you know, in my house or the way I do things, we're not so physically touching. Not that there's anything wrong. We're not calling you sick. We're not calling you crazy. It's just that we don't touch. We don't really hug. There are many families where touch is usser. That's mm -hmm. acceptable in their family. And if someone is touchy, that's not acceptable in their family. And you need to learn how to teach your daughter, or let's, let's call it a daughter, so it's easier for me, to create this mm -hmm. space. The same thing is to teach your daughter how to create the space that when she comes to her house to say, I'd like to start, don't go through my certain drawers. I like having my private, my privacy in certain things. That's very important. Right. Now, your daughter might say, but I'm going to hurt her feelings. This is part of our job as parents to teach. That's not called hurting feelings. Hurting feelings are when you're intentionally hurting someone. When you're creating a healthy space, that is teaching assertiveness. This is teaching, this is teaching mm -hmm. them how to survive or how to grow in today's world because some people will go into your personal space. And it's our job as parents to educate them, not to assume that they know it on their own. Right. My question is just the teenager I'm focusing on is the one that's not giving the space, is the one that's too... Now, um, what is your relationship with that teenager? Um, a teenager that I <coughs> mentor. You mentor. Excellent. So now you can bring that up. Tell, look, part of my job, I do that many times with my clients. Say, my job is over here as a therapist, not to coodle your emotions and to tell you how wonderful it's going. I see some issues. Can I mention some issues that eventually we'll need to work on? Mm -hmm. And I do clearly. You see in my office, you're very blunt. I feel horrible after I speak to you for five minutes. I might not use those strong words, but I say, speaking to you, I'm feeling down. You're attacking. You're prickly. Sometimes I use the word, you're very prickly. I make mm -hmm. one mistake and you're harboring on that. That's called a human being. Do you do this with others? Mm -hmm. You can bring it up and say, again, um, if my job was to be a friend or distance, I see you once in a while, I wouldn't do that. But as a therapist, I need to make you aware of certain things that you might not even be aware of. You can and tell you her, as a mentor, that's my job. I want right. to just get you aware. And you think just awareness is enough, meaning an understanding of why. Like I was. Oh, wait, I hold on. Did I say awareness is all we're doing? Okay. No, I'm just, first we need to find out we're testing the waters. What happens if that client will tell me, sorry, I don't want to discuss anything else, or no, I don't want to discuss that with you? Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? We're, we're, we're first giving you step one. Okay, so I guess we're past step one. We've discussed it. Wait, has she and been willing to discuss that? Yes, yes, absolutely. And then what happens then? Um, I just felt, so we were discussing it, but I, being that I do listen to your um, mm -hmm. phone line, I was sure that you'll have like additional information that will be helpful. To now convey. you start practicing with her. You make now a whole chart of how you respected certain people's personal space. And even when you do, I'm a big believer in role play. So you're going mm -hmm. to start role-playing role with her, how, even when you're mentoring her, how she has gone into your space. And then you start practicing creating space by you. You start discussing one or two cases where she's going to start focusing on now. Uh-huh. 
you know, would, uh, sorry, places where she might now gain the awareness. So have her write down places where she's overstepping, not just one. Right? Let her write it down. Now, what can she do in the future? Mm-hmm. What will she do in the future? Let her write down how many times she did overstep. Okay. What can you do? It's a whole, this is all logic. This is cognitive and behavioral therapy that we're talking about now. So you feel it's just, like, I can't say just, but you feel that there's a lot of, like, logic that if she understands it, sees the behaviors, the issue should resolve itself, meaning even if in her family there isn't that clear concept of my belongings, my space. Um, let's clarify what you're saying. You're saying even though her family emotional surroundings is one way, can you teach a person another? Right. Let me ask you, do you think you can teach her something? Do you see she's learning things that her family does differently? Does she want yeah, to? Again, yeah, we got to yeah. go back to step one. Does she want to change? Yes, And absolutely. that's the whole point of therapy. That's the whole point of education. That's the whole point of Torah. Uh-huh. Torah is, even if your parents Mechal is Shabbos, you can learn the Torah. Of course we can change based on our past. Mm-hmm. We can change anything as long as we want to do it. I hear I hear. Excellent. Okay. Thank you, and Thank continue you so being much. an amazing mentor. Just to read you, we've got one or two questions over here from people they've said, similar to your question. Uh, thank you for your wonderful program. I'm extremely close to a friend that for the last two weeks she's ignoring me. I have no way to get through to her. It's hurting me so much that I feel like it's destroying my life. What can I do? We're 21. She got married a few months ago, and it's similar to that. We need to start learning personal space, being too attached to someone, being too needy. How can you create that space? This is not healthy to be so attached to someone. Right. Um, Okay, we'll just read one or two positives that have come over here. Mordechai, I was also addicted to your line, but then it pushed me to go for help, and now I'm beginning on the way. Eight sessions already after six months by someone that didn't help. So now going to another therapist. So thank you all. It's really here for the awareness, and I appreciate when people, um, when people just send the feedback. So thank you very much. Um, thank we you. are going to go to yes. Thanks for calling in. I appreciate that. We are going to David. David on line three, and Esther and Bela. Thank you. Well, you guys were really holding a long time. David, thank you, and you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, Mordechai. I appreciate your uh, radio show. Thank and you. I just wanted to put out there and to the audience that I give a class at. Agudas Israel based in Yemen, which is on Ushin and L, is a Gemara class which is conducted with the help of the Svarim from Ramchal. There are Tavunas and Sefer Yigayam. There are books on logic, which is like making people cognitive about what they're learning, making them, making them conscious learners. And right now I have teenagers, so 60 year olds, who are you know, taking the class and it's very interactive and it gives them the tools. So if there's anyone out there who needs help with Gemara, specifically the tools in which, in which to analyze it. So I'm giving this share every Tuesday from 8.30 to 9.30. So let me understand this. So you give a share on how for Bachar, you're saying people up to, you said 16 or up to 6D, 6.0? That's right. So you got people but, that you're giving a share from 16 up to 6D, where they're able to learn how to understand Gemara, go into the details, the concepts, and it's based on the Ramchal? That's right. Wonderful, David. And you do this, uh, there's a charge for that? It's in the Bismedrish, it's in the school. Where is this? No, it's in the, in the show, based in Yemen. It's a show up right on the corner of Nostrand Avenue. And Avenue uh, L? Nostrand Avenue and L. Oh. And, uh, and the, what were we going to say? Is there a price for that? No, 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 it's a free of charge. Oh, it's free of charge. Uh, so if someone wants to like tune in, or it's a beginner in Gemara, if someone has a difficulty. Well, it's from beginner to advanced. 
from uh, beginners to advanced. Who are advanced too would benefit from the share. Wonderful. I appreciate that, David, David, for calling in. I mean, and anyone listening over here, if you offer something to the cloud and you would like it announced, feel free to call in. This is over here to create awareness to help people. And I'll mention one other thing I put in there because I'm a special ed teacher also, that okay. I have special training in Dr. Forestine who happened to pass away like a month ago. They had an article about him in the Mishpacha magazine. Okay. And he had a whole cognitive way of helping people have deficiencies, and I go and I introduce that too to help them along with the Gamora learning. Beautiful. Wonderful. So if someone wants, it's every Tuesday, where is this? At Beit, um, Israel, based in Yemen. Yeah. Rabbi, Rabbi Leif Shul. Right, it's Rabbi Leif Shul, right, on Avenue L. Nostrand. When is this? It's actually tonight. It's from 8.30 to 9.30. Tuesday, 8.30 to 9.30. Beautiful. Thank you for volunteering it and continue doing amazing work for Kal Yisrael, helping out everyone in their way. Thank you, and you thank you. Amen. I appreciate it. Okay. The number for those of you that would like to call in is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. And we are going to go to Esther. Esther, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, thank you for taking my call. My pleasure. Okay, so... Um, I have a daughter. She's almost five years old. Ooh. Well, just let me just start over here. Let me give my little waiver. We're taking callers and questions about everything, but really, but parenting up to before the age of eight, nine, because most of the time, I'm going to tell you, your kid is 100% normal, age appropriate, and we just need a parenting course to give you the tools how to do it, which is hard to do in three minutes or less when it's a just like weekly follow up building up the tools. But let's hear your question. Maybe it's not about that, and maybe I'll be able to answer it. Okay, so I think she has a fear of noise, but I'm not sure. Um, what makes me think so is that... First, um, is this your first child? Yes. Yeah, classical. Let's not even go into that. <laughs> Take a parenting class. And I don't mean Chassashon to put you down in any which way. It's just the normal concerns that parents have. And if it is something, they'll be able to guide you. But chances are it's 100% age appropriate. Really? Um, she like follows me wherever I go. We're going more and more into saying it's a parenting class, learning how to just deal with it. Really? Yeah, you're so normal. Your kid is so normal. Just relax. My recommendation is just take a parenting class. Yeah, okay. and not saying, and I'm not saying Shalom, I want to clarify, not that you're not a good mother. It's just that we need some tools how to deal with. You might be a great mother for kid number two, three, four, five, six, but for that one clingy kid, or for that one kid that might be more anxious, that or one kid that might be more like you, or the one kid that might be more like your husband. Just the tools for that one kid, we might just need that. And okay. it's really systems based. I cannot share with you how to get off the clinginess in one session. It's like I got to give you the tools follow up with that stuff, then what worked, what didn't work, then give the next set tools. It's usually a four to eight week process. Okay. Yes. So just know your kid is normal. Healthy, Baruch Hashem. Alrighty. Excellent. Thank, thank you. Thank you, and I, I appreciate that you waited that long on the line. Okay, thank you. Sure. Okay, we are going to go to line two to Bela. Bela, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello, Bela. Bela, going once, going twice. All right, we're going to go to line three. We're going to go to Reb Chaim, to Chaim. Chaim, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello? Yes, hello, Chaim. Yes, I just want to know, I have some of the family with an exit problem. I just want to know how to have 
how long it's going to take. She's in the hospital one week. Wait, could you explain to me again? You have a relative that has a problem. What problem? Reaxi. Reaxi? Yes, the eating disorder. An eating disorder reaxi. I know of three or four different types of eating disorders. I'm sure there are many different ones I don't know, but I know of bulimia. I know of, um, what do you call it? The famous one, my mind slipped a blank, and overeating, the one where you're not eating at all. Anorexia? Oh, anorexia. That's what you said, anorexic. Okay. Yes. What is your question now about anorexia? I'll have to deal with it. Oh, let me scare you a little. And And I mean to scare you and those listeners. Anorexia, if you look it up, just Google it, the number one mortality rate, the number one death of all disorders out there is anorexia, is an eating disorder, more than depression, more than anything else. It is a serious disorder. Very, very serious. You need someone that specializes in that. My friend, a large part of anorexia is about control. My recommendation to you is before you're going to focus how to help this family member that's in the hospital because you're talking about two to three years of therapy once they're in the hospital, we're talking about now you and your wife going for therapy. What issues have been going on? I will share with you a very sad story. Someone calls me up that their brother is an addict, a drug addict in the from world. And I said, first thing, what are they? I said, get your parents to therapy. He says, you just hit the problem. My parents will not go for therapy. Whatever relationship you have with that, I am telling you now, we're not blaming you, but you have some issues, you and your wife. Could be anxiety, could be control, could be anger, could be that you have no idea what you're doing wrong, that this one kid was never happy. It doesn't matter. When you're dealing with something like that, it's serious, that a kid needs to be hospitalized or a kid needs to be on serious medication for whatever reason, I always recommend parents go for help. Start looking, what can you do differently? There is a dance. We're not blaming you. What we're saying is there is a dance that goes on. The kid says they get better. You blind and you, you know, look a blind, you look to the other way. It's serious. Get help. And I want you, when you and your wife go to the therapist, not to go, I'm here because my daughter or my niece or my granddaughter has a problem. It's what I might have done to contribute a little bit. Yes. What are some of my weaknesses? I get too nervous. I'm too much of a pushover. My wife always yelled and I was a pushover. Whatever it is, you need to start working on your issues. So you're not coming to work on your your granddaughter or your niece. You're coming to work on yourself. I need to change something. Some part of me is in this dance. And I need you to be aware that eating disorders, once it gets to the level where they're hospitalized, you do not just hospitalize an eating disorder. That means her BMI level is usually extremely low. It means other things have been affected. And at this point, we're talking about two to three years of constant therapy. And you guys starting to do some deep soul-searching work in changing yourselves. Doesn't mean if you change yourselves, it will help that kid. But it is serious. And I want to say this because I deal mostly with men in my private practice. The amount of Bacharim and men that are starting to come up with eating disorders is scary because of the image of the outside world of what we call perfect and what we call good is weighing a certain weight. When you deal with eating disorders, when I deal with it, not that I deal with that, I many times heal the inner part of the eating disorder while I let the professional that has experience with eating disorders deal with that. But the inner work, it's about their self-confidence. They feel that the only way they can get respect is by looking good. 
They feel people only care about the outside level and it's very serious. And most of the time, there are one or both parents that have a confidence issue or other issues that are going along with it. Almost all times, there's something going on with the parents that when you deal with the parents, you can at least help out. Does not mean that it will change. Unfortunately, it can be an illness sometimes when it got too far that changing the parents is not enough to even help the kid. And we need to daven and you need you, siyata deshmaya. But I just need you to know, Chaim, that anorexia hospitalized is a serious issue. And one of my recommendations for us listeners when someone looks too skinny, don't compliment them they look good. Do me that favor. I look at someone and I go, ugh, it's disgusting. Don't tell it to them to their face you look disgusting, skinny, but don't tell them you look good. Okay. Don't do that. Us listening, stop it. They look anorexic. They look skinny. Don't say you look good. You're feeding the illness. I'm not going to tell you, tell them you don't look good, but don't feed the illness saying you look so good. Because if you see, I only got compliments. Everyone's talking about my look. Yes, because you look so nauseating. They're just saying because you can't miss it. Uh-huh. What okay. did you hear from what I said, Chaim? Um, this, uh, so, uh, this is, we're supposed to go to help both parents. Yes, and why? Because um, something happened in the family that the kid get reaction. There is a dance. Let me clarify, there's a dance. Imagine someone is dancing her at a wedding and it's a hurrah beat. Then they start changing the dance, the music, to a calm, slow, like a dinner-type music. Yes. So they're playing Hamalach HaGoel. No, so this guy's still dancing Hara. How easy are they going to be able to dance the Hara then? Not, not too good. That's right. So when there is major emotional stress going on in the family, all the family members are dancing a dance, are dancing to the same tune. When we go for therapy, we're changing our tune. Now their dance is going to be hard for them to dance the same dance. So really why I'm recommending you and your wife go for therapy, we need to start changing the tune. It's, a, it's, a, it's a my niece. It's not my, it's my niece. That's a it's a niece. But if you're involved, if you're even 1% involved, then go for therapy, how to help and what's going on. I deal many times with cases and the hardest thing to do is remove all those family members that mean to help. Everyone gets involved for three weeks, they disappear for five weeks, come back two weeks later, you start doing something, oh, this is terrible, and then all of a sudden this uncle you never knew existed for eight months wakes up and starts yelling, starts changing everything. If you are 1% involved, go for therapy. If you're 0% involved, then don't go. If you're 1% involved, go. And one of the big things I find is important is coordinate case management, these heavy cases. You need someone to manage between the hospital, the therapist, the parents. They, when they go out of the hospital, where are they going to? Which family member? Are they going to be weighing themselves? Are they going to be eating food? Are they going to nutritionists? They say they're gaining weight, but are they really gaining weight? There's so much going on around it that you need case management. But one thing us people can start is stop looking at people and say, look how good they look, they're skinny. No, they don't. Let's stop saying a kid is a little chunky, 10 pounds overweight. It's not 10 pounds overweight, it's healthy. Let's recognize healthiness, normalcy. The world is really run by the silent majority. We focus and the ones that stand out are always the extremes. Let's appreciate who we are. Let's appreciate a kid that's chubbier and enjoys a slice of pizza. Fantastic. The kid is smiling. The kid is a little bit overweight or a little bit underweight. It's okay. 
Don't tell them, now you look great, you lost weight. So you want them to be skinny and be miserable and worry about food all the time? Let's change this image. Let's stop going shaduchem. The girl is skinny. The boy is good looking. He's tall and that. Stop with El's Mishigasen already. We can't... What? Say that again. Why they have a big mess in the whole family? Of course, there's, there's a huge mess, unfortunately, in the family once there's an eating disorder there. All that there is is, unfortunately, when there's an eating disorder, is telling you that there's a severe problem somewhere. doesn't have to be the whole thing, and it needs to be dealt with. And okay, from my experience, you. there's a lot of family work that needs to be done as well. We're not blaming anyone. We're just saying that it got an extreme, and even just for this one kid or this one niece, but we need to learn how to deal with it. Okay, thank you. My okay. pleasure. Thank you, Chaim, for calling in and bringing an awareness to this huge issue that is going on in the world and in our community as well. We are going to go to Yehudit on line one. Yehudit on line one, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hello, Yehudit? Hello? Yes. Yes, hi. Um, first of all, I want to tell you thank you very much. I um, listened to your line. I actually... Uh, was told about it right before Pesach, and I was like totally hooked on the first minute. Thank I you. I to the programs that you had on uh, the J Radio. They were amazing. And recently I started listening to the programs that you have on Option 1, and I was like blown away. Totally amazing. Thank you. And it actually helped me in a couple of areas. I, I found, uh, I applied uh, different uh, tips you get to other people. I applied it in my own life, and it really, really helped. I, I so, want you to know, I appreciate that so much, because I put it out there, and I just don't get feedback. Sometimes you get a negative feedback, but it's when I get the positive feedback, it keeps things going. Just as we mentioned, I'd like those listeners to know, and that's why I appreciate our listeners so much and people that call into the line is, I find that people who look for a certain type connection will find those people, which means those that are always busy fetching, oh, my back hurt, and this one goes, I went to that doctor for my foot. Those fetchers will always find groups of fetchers. People that are into exercise, they'll always find other people into exercise. I just jogged three miles today. I just took this protein that helped. I just bench pressed this amount. And they talk about health. And I look to connect to people that are looking to grow. And I must tell you, being that that's the people I look to connect to, and that's what I try getting out there, that's what I do in my life, the positive feedback to negative feedback, I could say, is literally 20 to 1. For every 20 positive successes i'm hearing from people messages that i'm not asking I'm, i mean i mentioned that i appreciate them but i'm not soliciting saying please send me two messages today and i would say for every 20 i get there is one negative and wow. i really am appreciating the listeners and those that are calling in and that's the type of energy that Baruch hashem you know that we are attracting and those that listen in and those that are calling so thank you for appreciating that and those listening just want you to know it means a lot to me getting the positive feedback and for us to be aware, those that do listen, we're in a pretty good group. One other quote, just to tell people that we, I also send out like a daily motivational quote on Twitter, or I read it on the phone line for those that don't have it, and that is, how people feel after they've sp spoken to you says a lot about you. The way people feel after they've spoken to you tells you a lot about yourself. And most people that I speak to, I feel good speaking to them. I feel good after that. So I thank you all for that and for being part of my life and for allowing me to be part of yours. Okay, Yehudit, so what is your question? Okay, so I was listening um, actually last night to your um, 
program, uh, The Danger of Criticism. Ooh, yes, that is a hot one. Okay. Um, my question is like this. Um, actually, I was going to ask you a very similar question before, and after I listened to it, I switched the question around a little bit, but uh, I'm going to divide it into two questions, but I think the answer like intertwines one with the other. Um, my question is like this. Is there somebody that went through um, criticism in their childhood, um, and now it affected, like, uh, the result affected them emotionally? Um, first of all, you said that such a person becomes a yes-sir. Um, is, is a pleaser, like, in the same category? Like yes. somebody that looks to please that person? So let's share with our listeners two very minutes. Much afraid of that person? Yes, let's discuss two minutes what we discussed over there about criticism. And what we discussed over there is the human brain, especially as children, what we hear we accept as reality. So when kids hear criticism, you're not good, you're a failure, you could never do anything right, it goes in and the brain takes it as a reality. Part of the danger, and of course we're going over there, it's a full hour speech and it's how to prevent it, how to change it, and how to understand the difference of criticizing and of constructive or constructive criticism or correcting someone when they make a mistake because it's a very big difference between the two. But one of the dangers that we've discussed over there is when someone is criticized, either they become like an abuser where they're criticizing and they're negative all the time and you just don't want to be in their presence, or on the other side, because they feel so bad and the only way they feel that they deserve to be alive is if they serve. So when they're told you're good because now you help me, their brain picked up the only time I'm good is when I help. The only time I'm good is when I is when I please others. And their entire personality gets formed. I am not a good person, but the more I help, the better I am. And unfortunately, I see people, when they make a lot of money, they give tzedakahs that are not healthy, shaloyka halacha. And then when they lose it or when their business needs a little money, they don't have anything put aside. Or they splurge it because they're looking to make others feel good and they have done a not healthy level. So yes, if someone has been criticized, that is one of the reasons when they need to please others to just feel validation, to feel that they're alive. Okay, and does it make sense like to please this person even though you're the critical person, even though you're afraid of them? Of course. The more critical, the more you need them because we, the subconscious tries to heal itself. What the subconscious tries to do is we place ourselves in situations over and over. Let me ask you an interesting question. Don't you think someone that comes from an abusive background would finally want to marry someone that's the calmest and someone that will respect them? 100%. I'm not going to share where I got it from because of books. I try not to share anything on air specifically if it's not a Jewish book. But in one of the couple's um, therapeutic modalities where I learned, which I studied, this guy gives a question as follows. He says, this guy is coming to me for therapy and says, I'm dating two separate women. And he says, I know it's not right. He says, one treats me mean. One, when I get her food, she's always complaining. The other one, when I wasn't feeling well, quickly ran over and brought me food and taken care of me. He says, and I know I should marry the one that's treating me so well, but somehow I'm just attracted. I get pulled to the person that's causing me all that stuff. And then, I, he, and then this therapist is writing further in his modality. He says, then this guy marries that tough one. And then they're divorced about two years later saying, she's just so tough. She's never appreciating me. He's going, look at this. This guy recognized it before. Why did he marry? And what would you say is the answer to that? Because we find it constantly over and over, as we had the question earlier about inner child. And that's why I'm such a big believer in inner child. It's more the psychodynamic theory, but I don't want to say psychodynamic therapy because it's a very long process. But still, it's a start. Why would you say that someone that is aware of logically what they don't want, 
or aware of what they do want, somehow will always recreate it. What would you say? Again? Why is it someone that this guy's dating two separate people, he could marry someone that's giving him everything, or someone that's mean to him, and he marries the mean one, and then two years later he's divorced? Of course she's so mean. Um, good question. I don't know. Yeah, and doesn't it almost sound crazy? But every one of us go for that. I, wear, I coach and I work with people that are with men that they have jobs and the boss is so tough or they got to make a choice in two jobs and then one of them, the boss is really mean. But they offer them a little bit more money. They say, I know I shouldn't go for the more money and then they do it. Why? You're almost always going to find that the, inner, the pain of our inner child, our inner child needs to reheal the situation that we were put into. And therefore, we need, we will put ourselves consistently, subconsciously into that situation until we heal. So we had earlier the lady that we had them aware how based on their childhood, they were always never given a compliment. Then they married and then they have a mother-in-law that can't give any connection or any love. We will always recreate the situation. The Rabbi Shalom will make it in a way that until we heal ourselves, we are going to recreate the problem at all times. So how does such a person heal themselves? Inner work. Identifying, it's me, it's not them. I feel criticized. I feel hurt. And that's where therapy comes in. I wish I can tell it to you in two minutes. You listen to the program. Those are an hour programs. They give 10 tools and 10 steps how to get out of it. But in reality, if it's really your life, you're going to need someone to guide you. You're going to need a coach, inner work, a therapist, which is going to start identifying. Here again, I was afraid to be assertive. I was afraid to say no. They criticized me. I felt so hurt. I'm not, um, there are friends that are nice to me. And I need to be able to connect to them. Mm-hmm. And um, is it possible, like, for such a person to have, like, emotional lockdown because of that? Well, which one? The, the one that is criticizing? The being criticized. Well, clarify what you say, emotional lockdown, because usually these people, I would say, have emotional meltdowns. They try to please everyone they can, so then they start getting depressed. Then they start... Meaning, meaning the person, as, like, doesn't want to get hurt over and over again. So, as a result, they sort of, like, lock their emotions... And, like, nothing could affect them anymore. And I understood what that means, but ex- I need well. more of a detail. Does that mean that they stop doing things, or does that mean that they stop feeling, or they do things cold? What does that mean? No, they stop having emotions. Just, they, they continue doing whatever they're doing, but they just stop having emotions. I'm hearing something else. I'm hearing now they've started turning. Let me ask you, when they stop doing their emotions, are they starting to criticize? Partially. Yeah, so what happens is the people that were hurt or abused, they only have two modalities, two switches. Be in pain or abuse. No, it's be victimized or victimize others. Mm -hmm. Be a victim or victimize. So you're going to find this person go between both levels. They haven't learned a healthy balance. When I work with clients, one of the ways I'm able to tell them is to evaluate how healthy they are is when you have a problem, how many options do you have? If you have the two extremes, never do it or always do it, then you're still not healthy. When you can come up with three more options, I mean there are five options, now you know you're healthy. When we are blind, when we're emotionally triggered, we only see, I will never do this or I will always do this. Those right. parents that, that don't know how to give their kids healthy love, they either shower their kids with love, be, breathe into their things full time, giving them an hour a day attention one-on-one, which is way too overbearing, or don't give anything or burn out. They don't know how to give some days 10 minutes, some days a half hour, some days nothing. It's okay. So the best option for such a person to get out of it, I would have to tell them to just therapy. therapy. They need a good therapist. Mm-hmm. 
It's an awareness. It's a years. That's the way of growing, or someone, or a rub that's willing to do it for them, or a rub that has an awareness in this. Is it is it like a lot of therapy? It depends on the person. You're asking me. Someone's coming in. You tell me. You're describing to me that there might be chest pains. You can first go maybe to a solo member, maybe an, uh, a paramedic, which might know to check out the whole EKG thing. You might send them to a regular doctor. You might send them to a cardiologist. They might need they might need a stress test. The person might need open heart surgery. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what you've just described. We've just described someone. We don't know how extreme it is. We don't know how often this is. We don't know how what else is going on. That right. is a full evaluation. All right. Okay. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Hudit. I, co- well. I wish you luck. Continuing doing everything Amen. that you're doing for Kaiser. Amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank that. Thank you. Bye. Yes. Bye. We are going to Malki on line five. Malki, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. Hello. Hi. Thanks so much for the program of number 48, knowing who you are. Oh, those natures, 48 and 49, one of my favorites. Yeah. And then I have one like two or three later about knowing the natures of your children. Yeah, so for those of you listening... Okay. I think I think once you know your nature, then it's like you automatically see it in your children, too. Okay, very nice. I appreciate that. Um, I really got two good benefits out of it. Number one... I'm able to give the benefit of doubt to some people. And number two, analyzing people is one of my hobbies. So this program really spoke, you know what I mean, really spoke to me. You're an addict. You're a junkie. I have that as well. I love analyzing <laughs> people, and I made a parnosa out of that, Baruch Hashem. But yes. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know what you mean. So let's just tell all those tuning in for a second just to know what we're talking about. I have a phone line where I've given hour-long shiurim. And there are about 61 or 62 of them. I'm not even sure how many numbers are there. And number 48 and 49 is where I divide p- about 16 different natures that people have. And that nature, I go into each nature, the positive and the negative, and we can start understanding. I give some examples how to tax. And what happens is, as you've said, the positives are, we can start seeing people not as bad as we've had the caller earlier about kinesthetic. One kid just might be touchy, another one might not be, and just how to teach it. It might be a nature, it might be family taught. And once we understand ourselves, we understand others, we can understand what's going on. One of the big secrets I give over there is that we ourselves have, usually the Rebunshan gives us an opposite of natures. So on one hand we want to be loud, on the other hand we want to be quiet. So to understand those natures or to hear those, for those of you that would like, it's on my phone line. That number is 718-298-2011. It's a free phone line. And it's in section 1, number 48 and 49. And in the Yiddish section, which is section 4, I got the same speech in Yiddish. For those of you that would like to hear that, it's in section 4 and it's one number off. So it's number 49 and 50. All right, Malki, let's go ahead and hear what your question is. Okay, first I just want to tell you two things, two benefits I got out of this is number one, I was able to give the benefit of doubt to some people. Thank you. And whatever I told you that I just enjoy analyzing. Thank you. So I really enjoyed that program. Um, I also have, I have two natures of mine that really annoy me. They don't Welcome to the club or the rest of the world, first of all. What? Welcome to the rest of the world. I've also got <laughs> one or two of them that... Uh, I guess I guess people that are intuitive think about their nature. So, so two natures of mine that I really don't, you know, doesn't boost my self-esteem, and I get so annoyed. Like, Let's hear them. Let's hear what they are. Okay. The first nature is I am a nature. I have a lot of tamimus to myself. For example, somebody would crack a joke. It would take me a minute to hop what they're saying, 
So you're very literal. Can we call that like the literal analyzing type mind? Maybe, maybe. And it really makes me feel very inferior to those sharp, witty people. Okay. And it, it just, it just, I just, I just don't feel, I just don't feel good about it. Okay, good. That's one nature. And what's the second nature? My second nature is, um, I could sound very pessimistic when I say it, but I'm just a very honest person, so I'm just saying what I really feel. But the whole thing, I feel like a real, a really slow-moving vehicle. It takes me, everything takes me so long. And it just, it just makes me so upset because I feel that so many more things I could be able to do if, if my mind would run a little faster and, and giddy up a little, you know. So that, that part of me, you know. It's, it's so as a which, therapist, I don't think you have any of those natures. What do you mean? We'll clarify. Let me hear the two positive natures that you do have. I mentioned recognize the top four. What are, what are, tell me two positive natures that you see from yourself. I see the positive, but I don't enjoy it. My positive is I'm a very intuitive person, and yeah. I, could, I could sympathize with people, and I have patience to people. Yes. Okay. So Good. Let's that, take a that, step now. Very you, good thing for a, let me clarify for a now. Worker. Great. But now, I don't have patience to be that. Because good. I'm not, sometimes, like, my mind keeps on telling me, Malky, Malky, you're so good because you're so, you're so nice to people. And so I like always say, okay, stop saying that. I want to do more things. I want to be more, I don't know. Now, let's recognize, Malky, like, which one of the natures is it that someone can see more that can be done or wants to do more? What do you mean, which nature? We have one of those natures, and there's a positive to negative. And there's a, there's a nature that always sees the flaw in things, that sees what can be done. They can be great accountants, editors, um, great managers. They can make change. There's a nature that sees what more can be done. The positives to that is you can always correct stuff. You're excellent when that nature takes over, when that nature can make changes. The negative side is if you don't learn how to balance your nature, you're always hard on yourself. Oh, One I of the am. natures. I'm a very critical person. Yes, myself, being critical, actually. that's right. But I now, wouldn't say other people. I'm now, let's stop a second. So I don't see yet that you have any negative natures. What I hear is you haven't learned to balance your nature. When you say you're great and part of your mind says, no, you're not, that's where a lot of therapy comes in, where we teach you or where you start using the strengths and you start saying, okay, this is the negative part of my nature. Don't. Let's focus on the positive side. I don't hear that you're a slow person at all. I hear that you have too high expectations that the critical part of you is not balanced. It's got to be balanced. Okay, okay. So sometimes, maybe 1%, I would say I'm an effective person. I, I can talk nicely. Okay. What percentage uh, did you say? I, what? What percentage? 1%. 1. Can you stop there? Malki, I'm going to be very direct to you. Okay. Take therapy. You've got so much going for you, and all you're seeing is not only that the cup is half empty, you're seeing the cup is three quarters empty. Speaking to you these two, three minutes, I can tell you all your strengths, but your negative criticism. That. So let me ask you, which one of your parents are perfectionists to themselves, not even to you? Which one of your par um, parents? I know my father is also very self-critical. That's right. You're, this is, you're speaking like someone that's already second or even third generation. Let's take it a step back. Which one of your grandparents are that way, your father's parents? Um, my, I would say my mother's mother is maybe more yeah, yeah. You know, welcome to the wonderful jewish family where we're getting it from both sides so let's understand <laughs> but i think a person that's self-critical achieves much more in life 
Wonderful. And all these things are what you're going to change in therapy, which is how can I learn to be successful without that criticism? And the belief why people keep it is because look how successful I am. And when it's several generations, this is where therapy, this will be one session discussing that. Why I need to be critical, why we need to be hard on ourselves when we make a mistake, because otherwise we're always going to make mistakes. That's not true. There are beliefs that the way you're speaking, I could tell is generational already, you're not the first one, that it's such a fact the way you're saying it. And we need to change that. So I let think me. It's also because my mother is like a very efficient person and she. Oh, so you got it from two parents. Wonderful. No, oh, I don't know anyone that is person. efficient. Efficient to me is a very unhealthy word when they're efficient all over. I call that perfectionist. Okay, fine, perfectionist. Now let's stop there. Tell me the, tell me the negative to perfectionism. The negative of whom? Of a perfectionist, not of your mother. What is the negativity of being diagnosed perfectionist? And as I say, two number one diagnoses in the firm world. Number one is perfectionist. Number two is I cannot codependence. I cannot be happy until everything else is working out, which is really another sign of perfectionist, but we'll still, I'd like to separate them. Do you know what's the negativity to perfectionism, to the critical eye that we discuss in the nature is? You're never happy. It could have always been more efficient. I could have done something else. When you're finally relaxing, you know what else I could have done? Sleep is the greatest waste of time for an efficient person. It's a waste. Childhood is a waste. Why can't we wake up at 21 or at 24 where we're doing things? I wouldn't say I'm so extreme. I'm like realistic. But it's like still. Oh, Hashem I, should I help. Feel that I, I, th so I would ask your husband if you're not that extreme. You're not that extreme because you're not that negative yet because you're still young. How stressed is your mother besides for how, besides for how efficient she is? How stressed does she get? Before? When does she start cleaning for Pesach? Your efficient mother. <laughs> Thank you. And you're telling me she is not stressed? Do me a favor. And let me tell you something else. But she's so but she is so capable. Oh Rabbi stop with that. No, they're not. They're popping Zoloft. They're popping Prozac in our generation. The doctors are giving medication to manage. The amount of psychiatrists that I'm speaking to, medical doctors that are saying, just take the medication. They're not, we're not ready to go for therapy. We're not ready to stop being efficient. We're not ready to be humans. I, the truth is, I, I know my mother. I know that she's not on medication because, because I just know that she has a certain strong part. She that is why I don't, I don't even want to debate this now. We're not going there. First of all, you will not know if she's taking medication. First of all, let me guarantee you that. The amount um, of people I'm that I know daughter, that no one knows, so even their husbands close. don't know. And that's part of our therapy to feel, imagine you can actually not be perfect that your husband can finally know that you're taking something. I'm not talking about two years after marriage. I'm not talking about talking about before. I'm just talking about people that can't manage with what's going on. But step, let's take a step back. We're not talking, I never said your mother's taking medication. This program is for awareness. I am telling you, it is impossible. And this is the lie that I'm trying to break in our society. Let's stop being efficient and be human. The Rabbi Shalom acknowledges that we can make Averis and we can do Tshuva, that we will make Averis and do Tshuva. Six people in the entire world that the Gemara says has never done an Avera. Other than that, we have. Okay, understand. No, so you, you don't understand. Your voice is still in that same balanced. concept. How can I be more efficient? Stop being efficient. If okay, you tell okay, me your fine. exercise will be made six mistakes a day, take a half hour off and do nothing. You couldn't do that. Could your mother do that? No. No, that's not healthy if she can't do that. I'm not saying do it every day. 
balance. Anyone that is not balanced is not healthy. So understand. Okay. What fine. do you understand? So you say you understand. I don't feel you understand. Let's do. What do you understand <laughs> from my words so far? Let's see if you understand me. <laughs> What, if I what, understand what you said? What am I saying so far? You're saying that it's, 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 a, it's a bad thing of this generation to, to always trying to be so efficient. A person is allowed to be calm and a person is allowed to, you know, you know let go a little. That's what By you're the saying. way, try to be efficient is a healthy step. Those that are efficient all the time is not healthy. We're meant to better ourselves. But we're also meant to understand that in bettering ourselves, there's the time off. There's a time for sleep. How many hours of sleep does your mother get a night? Uh, seven. Seven and oh, a half. So doesn't make sense. Somehow, something isn't adding up. These efficient people usually go on five hours sleep because there's always something else that they can do. They're in bed and they can't fall asleep because their mind is thinking about what I didn't do today or what I'm going to do tomorrow. Okay, Find I out. Do me a favor. Do, uh, call up your mother. Call up next week. Let's hear how many hours your mother really sleeps. Something, um, your story know, isn't, ma isn't matching up. The person that you think and the person that is don't match up. You cannot have a person start cleaning from Hanukkah for Pesach and sleep seven hours at night. No, why does she start Hanukkah? Because she also works. So if she starts Hanukkah, then she, then she starts... I know a lot of women that work and do not start cleaning for Hanukkah for Pesach at Hanukkah. Because this is, and she only does it Sunday. From the whole winter, she only does it Sunday. So, so very slowly, maturely, that's how she does it. So that's more. That's I more wish our smarter. listeners, you know what, I'm going to ask our listeners, if you guys could please call and say, I know we can make a conference. I just wonder if it's me or others listening over here. Does this sound efficient? Am I just being judgmental over here? Or I just see disorders all day, so something that sounds too perfect, too organized? I wonder. I don't know. All right, Malki, so what is your question? I, I feel I would have a tough time with you because I feel we're on two different wavelengths. You're saying efficiency is excellent in the level that you're saying, and to me I'm saying it sounds very not healthy. Right, right. I understand what you're saying. I, I, well, you say you understand what you're saying. So it's no, so funny how I feel we're not. But I understand that you say that the balance has to be straight, right? Yeah. Not, not like, not in, no extreme, not too little, not too much, very normal, right? That's what you're saying? Yes, and it doesn't sound to me the way you're describing your mother that it's there. Um, okay, so, so let's say that she's more talented than me. Okay, fine. Hold on, stop. There's a criticism. There's a negativity that comes from perfectionist. The amount of time that I've had people telling me, this one is perfect, and I worked on them, and I know it's so not true, but we still let them go. That Do you understand what happens with this image of efficiency? You go around saying she's more talented than me. No, she isn't. That's the sickness of today's generation. We're putting 30 kids in a class and we're expecting everyone to be the same. Stop it. Be an individual. That word uh, is well, the poison. I also understand that it, this is Hashem made me. Hashem made me not so talented as my mother. Not true. Not true. Hashem has made you perfectly talented in other areas. And because you are stuck in the perfectionist and being like my mother, you're not harnessing and utilizing your talents that Rabbi Shalom has given you. He has made you just as talented as your mother. In fact, you are just as talented as I am, and I am just as talented as the next person. They, in their area, me in mine. You are just as talented as your mother. Start saying that. Okay, I'll say I'm talented as my You mother. don't believe it. Your subconscious is going to say, that's not true. I don't believe that. You know your mother is so much better than you. She could work and have the house organized and everything works out great and I can't. 
That is the negative, and those are the beliefs where you need a therapist to start changing the awareness in you and in the family. Understand. So, so I'm like sort of. I think that that I just need to find the right balance. Okay. No, I you, think something oh. is very different. What? I think it's something very different. But if I find the right balance to start my, I guess my wheels start rolling a little, a little stronger because my wheels are rolling so slow. That do you see how like, you're trying to control this? If you can slow down or balance, then you could even do more. That is the sickness of efficiency. Slow down. Slow down. You can't. You can't continue like this. You know why? Because I'm sometimes I just like... You can't like, continue. You're not you know, listening to the messages. You're getting the other thing. You're trying to push yourself more. Machines understand they need to recharge the battery when it goes down to zero. How do you know when your battery, when that cell phone is weak, it beeps and then it shuts? Humans, we push ourselves, then we get anxious, then we yell, then we scream. Halavai, we could just have that off button, boom, we used our power, now you just fall asleep suddenly. You would be sleeping for about two years just to balance yourself. Your mother would be sleeping for five years. Look, there just, are times when I'm, I'm not so critical of myself. There are times when, okay, this is me. All right. But then there are times when I tell myself, okay. Let's listen, put it this way. You, you Your question, I'm going to be very work, blunt right? to you. What you need is therapy awareness or chas v'shalom, you need a major zetz for you to realize to let go. You want me to help you remain ill. You want me to get you more efficient in your problem. I can't, I'm not going to do that. How you, about I got the zetz already? I don't believe you have. You're still talking this way. No, if you be I my did. client, I ask you, where's your zetz? <laughs> um, um, I have MS. Ah, uh, th listen, I don't know if MS comes from emotional stuff or not. That might be, I don't want to go there. But one of the things that I would have done with your family is I would have had your mother come into session and ask your mother, I know several clients are coming to me and telling me, my mother is so healthy. My mother is so perfect. And I know for a fact from other siblings or, from, or when we had to make finally the family meeting and the mother shared what therapy and what difficulties they have and how their life is miserable and what's going on. As long as you believe that everything is okay and your mother's life is hunky-dory, all I can tell you is there's a lot going on that you're not aware of. It's impossible. I don't know if MS comes from that. That's something else. But one thing I will tell you is you've got to go for that awareness. We have about 30 seconds left, so I'd like to thank you for calling in. Yeah. I appreciate it. I thank you for the positive feedback about the program, about my phone line. And Rabbi Yishlam should help you for a fuwa on what you have. And as well, I would really recommend that you start going for a therapy and it's purposely about, about perfectionists, something along those lines. Just continue growing. Thank you all for listening. Looking forward to having you, Merit Hashem, next week.